Thank you, Susan. I know how that feels when trying to do something for the Lord and it seems like Satan attacks you in every way. But you, uh, you did a wonderful job and I appreciate that. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles, you know, to Matthew chapter 19. I, I've got a few things I want to mention this morning. And first of all, I want to say that I appreciate you cooperating with us. Uh, Daniel's uh, worked hard on this and the deacons and other people, but especially uh, Daniel heading, heading this up and uh, the, uh, you know, temperature uh, coming in. Uh, you know, we just want to be safe. We want everybody to feel safe. Uh, the no shaking of hands. Uh, we, uh, Debbie and I will be in the back. We'll be our distance away from y'all as you leave, but we'll just wave as you leave and, and tell you it's been good to see you. But we won't shake any hands uh, because we want y'all to feel safe. And uh, we, we just appreciate you being here. And then, um, you know, for you uh, that need to wear a mask and want to wear a mask, feel safer at that. We appreciate that. We, uh, Stephen has... Uh, gotten us uh, made sure that we had mask and also uh, hand sanitizer if we need any of that so you uh, uh, you feel free to use any of that and take mask with you we don't even ask you to return them you can take them on <laughs> so we uh, uh, we're glad to have you here today and talking about glad to have you here um, I'm, I'm glad to have some people here today for uh, you know, that mean a lot to me, and that's, you know, y'all mean a lot to me, and I appreciate you being here, but my family, my oldest son, Shane, and his wife, Felicia, and, and uh, McCord and Sawyer, the two boys, are here this morning, and it's so good to have them here. They, um, they live a little ways away, and they like to uh, break the distance when they come out up to be around Atlanta or the university and so they call us up and see if we're going to be around and we uh, we have them out there at the house but uh, if any of y'all want to be brave and brave it this uh, fall I've got two grandsons that'll be playing football for picking pickings uh-huh yeah yeah they'll be playing uh, receivers uh, not for the high school yet but uh and they'll be playing defense also. So if you want to venture up there and watch them, then that's fine. I, we were able to get with the, um, our other boy yesterday, the youngest one. Uh, middle one couldn't make it. Jeremy and Beth and McKinley and, and Lincoln were there. And uh, we had a wonderful time. We met down at Buford, and, and uh, uh, it, was, it was great. Matter of fact, Jeremy came over this past week. I don't know if you saw any of it on Facebook, for you to get on Facebook, but we went over to the University of Georgia. He wanted to get a picture of two little, little ones looking out over the field. And so he decides, well, look there. Maybe we can go down on the field. The gate down on the bottom's open. Well, what do we do? We go down on the bottom and go through the gate. And then all of a sudden, we're swarmed. Uh, you can't get in here. The alarm's going off, you know, and all this kind of stuff. And, and his uh, little daughter takes off running for the field, and he says, I've got my kid, I've got to go get her, you know, so he waited, and then he said, y'all get out, so we, we left, but uh, 
it was good to have all of them uh, or those two with us and family and it's good to have Shane and and family here today and so um, I also want to say it's good to have Debbie and I do mean this you know this year August the 15th do you know what that is 49 years for us I am correct Lana 49 years we were both married at two or three I think I mean it was young but 49 years and it's by the grace of God that uh, she stayed with me but uh, uh, yeah amen <laughs> but it's good to have her and this past week it is extra good to have her because you know I want her it to be easy on her so I put her on the riding more and I push and what does she do? We have a hole in the, in the front yard ditch. It's, uh, I don't know, so long. And, and it's about that deep. And we had some big rocks that to fill it up, you know, and uh, kind of decorate it up a little bit also where the water would flow through. We just had that done. And, uh, of course, there's a stop sign on this side of the ditch. And so she's going. And that lawnmower, old snapper, 23 years old, it grabs at times and so what does it do she tries to go around the stop sign and it grabs and she hits a rock and it turns over on her and so uh, I'm just thankful that she's here today with me but uh, she's all bruised up and it, I did not bruise her up uh, I ran to rescue her but uh, yeah yeah <laughs> Uh, lawnmower's gone. Lawnmower's gone. So, <laughs> uh, okay. And then uh, this that uh, I'm going to be uh, talking with you today. You know that we we go through books of the Bible most times. Sometimes I'll be on themes, sometimes uh, topics, but most of the time I'm uh, going through expositionally, expositorily through a book. Now I've heard comments from preachers saying this is the easy way I want to tell you this is not the easy way you have to really study you have to get it within context and you have to preach and you know you don't get to choose what you want to preach on like some preachers that preach topically or uh, biblically uh, uh, as far as biblical characters they'll choose pick and choose what they want to and avoid some controversial things that come up in scripture well this passage I don't care really about preaching that much I have awkwardness with it but it's in the Bible and so we're going to look at it today okay but I want you to know up front I am awkward with it and I'll tell you why just like anybody else, in chapter 19, verses 1 through 12, we just came to the end of chapter 18 last week. And it came about that when Jesus had finished these words, he had been teaching the disciples, he had been in Galilee, he departed from Galilee, and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan, and great multitudes followed him. And of course he healed them. Now he didn't just go around healing people just to heal people. 
He loved for them to be healed, but he healed people for a reason. It was for a purpose. And that purpose was what? To identify him as the Son of God. And so some Pharisees met up with him in this crowd and came to him. And it's very important, if you look at the word there, they tested him. They were testing him. They have continuously been testing him. Number one, they did not like his following. Number two, they didn't like his claims to be the Son of God. Number three, they did not like his teachings because they were so clear and opposing what the Pharisees had added to so often. And so, and number four, it was convicting because it showed their hearts. Their hearts were not right with God. And so, some Pharisees came to him, testing him, saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? Now, why did he say for any cause at all? Does that say anything about that in the Bible? Well, there were two schools during that time that taught. One taught for any reason. The other one taught for only one reason. So we'll talk about that in just a few moments. And he answered them and said, have you not read? Now that was very, very convicting. Here were the Pharisees who were supposed to be experts of the law, the word. And he says, have you not read? That he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, for this cause a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one flesh Consequently, they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Now that sounds familiar, doesn't it? Well, we go to the Old Testament in Genesis, we'll find out in just a few moments. Did he answer their question on divorce? Yes, in a, in a sense. Yeah, he did. He took them to the very heart of it, marriage. What God had designed uh, originally but they said to him why did Moses then and circle the word command because in Deuteronomy if you go to Deuteronomy as we will in a, uh, next week we won't get through this whole scripture today as we go through it next week you'll find that that word uh, if you find it in there let me know Moses why then did Moses command to give her a certificate of a divorce and send her away? And he said to them, Well, I want to tell you, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives. But you see, that was not from the beginning. It has not always been that way. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for immorality, and we'll look at that word, that's a very important word, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciple said to him, if the relationship of the man with his wife is like this, now this, you see, after all of this, the disciples and Jesus get away, you've got to picture this, and they're really... Man, they're, they're convicted. They, they understand what he said. And they said, wow, if this is so, 
then it's better not to marry. And then Jesus said to them, you think about what you're saying. In bo with both cases, because not all men can accept this statement, but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way from their mother's womb, and there are eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and, in other words, castrated. And there were also eunuchs who made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven, like Paul did. He who is able to accept this, let him accept it. If you're able to do this, then do it. But I want you to know there's more involved in being single than you think about. Because Paul said what? If in your flesh you burn, if your desires you burn, then it's better to what? Marry. So this is a very serious thing. We'll talk about that next week. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you for this day. These that are here, these that are listening, and I just pray that you'll give us your wisdom, your knowledge to understand what is being said. Uh, open the truth to our hearts and our minds, and I pray that you'll guide my words. Help me to say what needs to be said, what doesn't need to be said. Help me not say it, and I pray that you'll help me say what is said with clarity that you'll guide everything that is done and said today and help me to say all with the right motive. And Lord, we pray that from that, you be controlling all things and you be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. These three questions hopefully will be answered at the end of the message next week. So come back or listen to it, whatever, if you're not able to be here. But what qualifies adultery or the word there is pornonia in the Greek what qualifies that that Jesus and uh, mentioned about in the Bible you'll need to understand that first and then second of all is Jesus giving us a mandate when he says that for uh, the uh, the justified person in a marriage to remarry is that what he's saying we'll talk about that and then third, if you don't have grounds for divorce, if you have remarried, are you, as some people say, continually living in an adulterous relationship? And we'll talk about that next week. And then we'll talk about the last thing, but I'm not going to mention it until next week. Okay. So, you won't hear too many preachers preach on this subject. Not today. And the reason being is because it's an awkward passage, as I said earlier. It's awkward for me. And if anybody's honest, it's probably a little awkward for every one of us to speak about it, to teach about it. Why is it awkward? Why do we feel that way? And should it be awkward to teach? Well, first of all, it's awkward because divorce is so common today. I want to tell you, sometimes in counseling people, people will ask about divorce as though it's an option to consider before entering into the marriage. And, you know, uh, in other words, they ask things like, uh, what grounds permit divorce? And 
uh, this is before they even take their vows. And Hendrickson uh, put it well. He said, why all this talk about the possibility of divorce as to say, if this marriage does not work out, I am always, uh, you know, I can always divorce my wife or my husband. Second of all, we've allowed ourselves to get to this point because of feeling awkward about teaching God's truth, just like I do. We are all touched by this subject, personally, either directly or indirectly. And we have become afraid we might offend someone or cause them to feel uncomfortable. And I want to tell you, that is true even for preachers and Sunday school teachers. Should it be? No. But we should enter it with the right attitude and with a loving attitude if we're going to teach on it. So I hope and pray, and you pray that this is my intent, this is my, uh, my presentation, this is how I'm doing it today because I have, uh, you know, not cherished this moment that much. This become an awkward place in Scripture for many. But you can't pick and choose what passages you might like to preach and you might not like to preach about. Especially if you're going to be devoted to expositional preaching. And that is preaching through a book, taking it in context as it is when you come to it. You come to a passage and you have to preach it, whether you like it or not. Because if you don't, then some people will wonder in the back of their mind whether they ever say it or not. Why did he not preach that passage? Why did he neglect it? Now, if I'm not preaching expositionally, then I can preach on the characters in the Bible. I can preach, it on, preach on this sin and that sin or this thing or that thing or this temptation or that temptation or how to be successful in this area or that area and never, ever touch on what I don't cherish to speak on. You see, we need to remember that God's Word is always, and this is so important, God's Word is always redemptive. And when we come to passages, even passages that we don't like, and whether it's direct, directly dealing with us or indirectly dealing with us, it still is there for it being redemptive, bringing us into a right relationship with God understanding it and and God wants that so that we'll be in fellowship with him and walk with him that kind of answers the third question that I had uh, about uh, what I uh, talked about and I'm not going to go back and mention it right now but uh, earlier that we'll be talking about next week so even when we come to those awkward places in scripture even when it strips away some of our defense mechanism and gets right to the nature of our sin, the word is always redemptive. People, God knows. This is why they were even talking about divorce, because that was not in God's original plan. The ideal was not included in Adam and Eve divorcing or even thinking about it, or anybody else. 
but man sinned and in his sinful state in his sinful humanity he doesn't always live up to the ideal does he he doesn't he's not perfect in any way and so God knew this this is why scripture is so important because in telling the truth because it's redemptive in bringing us in a close relationship with God doesn't matter what failure we've had in life what sin we've we've uh, committed what does John say in first John if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness but there is some seriousness in that verse that our societies have pushed aside with this subject and with so many other subjects in our life that deal with the areas where we sin like living together before we're married and other things we take well I'm going all I have to do is confess it and so I'm going to be forgiven this is why I hope that one thing that you pick up along with scripture being redemptive is the seriousness of marriage this is why Jesus went to the marriage part before even mentioned even mentioned about divorce because they had gotten far away from the seriousness of it so it is grace and mercy that has brought us to this point today and it is grace and mercy that will carry us throughout our Christian life so Secondly, we, uh, we may feel some awkwardness because the world would have us feel that way. You know, given the mentality of the day, when we feel like we invade a personal space, we are, they, they let us know that somehow we're trespassing. But that's not what the Bible teaches. We just got through with church discipline, didn't we? We should lovingly enter into other people's lives when we see them faltering and and having problems and difficulties just like with me just like with you 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 have a caring brother who comes along that's close to you and and they talk to you about it and they discuss that matter and and they say hey this you know I see where if you don't do something in your life with this please man, I'm just saying this because I care about you, then you're going to be going down that, line, that, that uh, road. And that road has many bumps in it that's going to be very hurtful. And it's going to be leading you away from that fellowship that you had with the Lord. So I'm just telling you this so that you'll get back in right relationship with God. That's the way church discipline is to be used in the church. And and that's the way we're to use scripture to help one another, to care for one another, not be judgmental. Keep our, uh, you know, our number one thing is to judge our own selves. But we're to see other people, pray for them first, and then enter into their life, become friends with them if you're not, and be able to talk with them about this because you see where they might be going it's just like Debbie and I we've been married 49 years this month what about if all of a sudden she wanted to divorce me God forbid 
She wouldn't be living after that, but no, I'm just kidding. Uh, she, she would divorce me. Well, what would that cause? Boy, my children would look at us and say, uh, you know, uh, man, what in the world happened to y'all? You know, we were counting on y'all's stability and all this. And then it would go this way, or if I did it, it would go that way. And, and, and then my grandchildren would say, you know, why did y'all do this? And, and so we would make, if we're not careful when we're in sin, we'll make all kinds of excuses, won't we? To justify ourselves. Well, it's this or that. Why can't we... This is what Jesus is telling them. Get back to that foundation, that relationship with God, and just admit it, confess our sins, be restored back in fellowship, and admit to none of us are perfect. Admit to our children, our grandchildren, whomever it might be, whether it's divorce or whatever, that, hey, we failed in that area, but I don't want you to have to go through that. I want you to be strong in it. We, we both were at wrong. That may, and that is always the case to some degree, but it may be one partner or the other more so. But given the mentality of the day, we feel we're put on the spot and we feel like we've uh, invaded personal space and we're trespassing. But we've got to remember that the Bible invades our personal space now the book of hebrews we're told that the bible is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and is able to pierce to the inner parts it lets us know that the bible not only gets into our space but it also gets into our self our inner being separating marrow and bone and is able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart in other words, I can't judge the thoughts or intentions of your heart. Don't plan on trying to. And you might. But the Word of God, it can. That's why I'm not standing up here as judge before anybody else. It's but by the grace of God that Debbie and I are still married. For her to put up with me all these years, I know it's but by the grace of God. But I don't stand at... at that, that's not my purpose here, to, to be judgmental towards anybody. And so, uh, in chapter, uh, you know, we, we see that the, uh, the Word of God performs that type of surgery in our hearts. In chapter 19 of Matthew, the author is giving us a change here in geography. And he's helping us understand the context of the teaching that Jesus has had. And it came about when Jesus had finished these words that he had been teaching, he departed from Galilee and came into the region of Judea beyond the Jordan and great multitudes followed him and he healed them all. Now, this is a change in geography and also a change in audience. You see, we had been in Galilee and we know Jesus was there and that, uh, you know, he had some intimate teaching there Dealing mostly with the followers and dealing with those that were around the area, which were fishermen primarily. And they were plain people coming from the villages in the area of Galilee. 
And it is there that he performed so many of his miracles. And it is there that he presented so many of his important teachings like the Sermon on the Mount that we had discussed earlier. And so Jesus' preparation for the cross started, though, back in Matthew chapter 16, verse 21. And now it's begun on his physical journey towards Jerusalem. And in Matthew chapter 19, 1, mark the end of his Galilean ministry. So Galilee is a long ways from Jerusalem. And I'm not referring to distance. What I'm referring to is in the terms of culture and in the terms of his audience. So the closer they get to Jerusalem and Judea, the closer they, they become to the influence of the temple and all that goes with the influence of the temple. And you'll be more in contact with Judaism and the Pharisees. And it is here that the Pharisees show up and challenge Jesus once again. Matthew lets us know that Jesus is still attracting crowds. And uh, back in chapter 13 of Matthew, though, he warned them that you better watch out for the crowds because the crowds will dissipate when things begin to show up as far as his true ministry and why he's around. He says you can't always judge the crowd by the eye. You, they may have a big, he may have a big following, but you don't know what's in the heart. You don't know the reason that they're there. You don't know what their purpose is. And so the crowds gather for different reasons. They don't always have the best intent or interest at heart. And so earlier Jesus had let the disciples know that many uh, were following him for different reasons. Some out of curiosity others to get something from him, and still others because of the excitement. So when Jesus would declare his messianic, uh, messianic identity, he's letting them know not all of these will remain and stand with me. Very few and uh, really will. So the first thing that we need to look at in giving you all this background is this is why it's got to be a, a two-point sermon here, is, or two-part, is the, the intent, the, the reason, the purpose for the question on divorce. That's the first thing that we need to, to look at. Here the crowd comes to him, and once again, he, uh, uh, he heals them. And, and within this crowd, there are some Pharisees. And they come to him testing him, it says, and saying, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And I believe that all of us can agree that we at times in our culture, uh, you know, we, we have been close to, directly or indirectly, with the epidemic of divorce. We live in a time where we have made divorce that natural part of our culture. In the book Marriage, uh, Merry-Go-Round, uh, the author states the Western culture is the most marrying, most divorcing culture in Western history. This is even measured over against more liberal nations, they said, in Europe. So on this topic, America is about as liberal as a nation can get. Now, I'm 
saying all of this about America because you can relate to America and you'll understand the relationship, how it parallels with the time that they were in. You see, uh, here in America, we've experienced a revolution in divorce law with marriage, which is called a no-fault divorce law. came about up until about the 70s, there had been a determining guilt and there had been a determining factor that uh, was a cause or had to be a cause for the marriage to break up. Now it can be broken for any reason, any reason whatsoever. And that is just about where Israel was, the people of God were, during this time with Jesus. As we mentioned earlier, in the Western world, it's about the same as the first century with the Jews, except for one exception, though. Even though it was becoming easy for them to get a divorce, very easy for them to get a divorce during that time, there was one difference, and the difference was that the, only the husband could get the divorce, not the wife. They could enter, end the marriage for whatever reason they wanted. First century Judaism, only the man was involved in that decision, making it. So the Pharisees asked Jesus a very serious question. It was more, a, a more technical question than how it might first appear. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all? And we need to understand that at that time, as I mentioned earlier, there were two basic schools or understandings uh, from these schools on the teaching of divorce. They were rival schools over the issue of divorce. It involved the interpretation of Deuteronomy 24. One school identified with Hillel said that it was lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all almost. And if he found anything displeasing about her, he could put her away. She burnt his meal. She didn't put on makeup, whatever it might be. You know, he could he divorce her. Now, the school of Shammai was far more strict than the other. And their basic allowance was for sexual immorality. And the term used for sexual immorality was a very general term that could be used to describe many different forms of sexual activity. But saying that, the divorce was limited to her violating her marital uh, vows. So this was a raging debate in the first century Judaism. And it was rightly so because of these two schools. And over this that we will look at in Deuteronomy chapter 24. Just like today, where there's debate over it, at least among evangelicals, uh, within our culture, there's much debate over what Scripture really says or how I feel about it or this is what uh, culture says. And so there's much controversy over the is uh, issue, just like it was during the Jews. The main controversy was over uh, Deuteronomy chapter 24. It says when a man, and this is where you listen to it, see if it has command in there, when a man takes a wife, and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some 
indecency, underline that, in her, and he writes her, he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand, sends her out from his house. She leaves his house, goes and becomes another man's wife, and if the latter husband turns against her and writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house, or if the latter husband dies who took her to be his wife, then her former husband who sent her away is not allowed to take her again to be his wife since she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord. And you shall not bring sin on the land which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance. Now these verses were in Deuteronomy. And they created somewhat of a bombshell for the life of Israel. Or a bomb. And so because Israel was looking for a trap door, an escape door, a way out of marriage, this they they uh, just tore it to pieces and they came up with their own rationalizations. Their problem is much like our problem today. If you're looking for a way out of marriage, if I'm looking for one, anyone, then you'll have a problem with Scripture. And so looking for a way out of marriage and you go to Deuteronomy 24, you'll be looking for some maximum openness to a door. Because that is what they're doing, and this is what evangelicals do today. In Deuteronomy 24.1, when a man takes a wife and marries her, and it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he's found some indecency in her, and he writes her a divorce, certificate of divorce, what is the indecency in her? That's, that's a bombshell there. And this is what the great issue of debate started as. Two schools of thought during that day. Hillel said anything goes or anything is, is, is possible for them to get a divorce. Any reason whatsoever. And then uh, anything that uh, the husband finds unfavorable he is permissible for divorce. Then the Shammai school was more rigid and said sexual immorality. And it had to do with something indecent, something shameful. It refers to some type of sexual act, evidently. And this is why in the first century, Judaism's divorce was such a raging debate. This is why the Pharisees asked the question, why, you know, what grounds do we have for divorce? The Pharisees were not trying to find the answer to the debate, really, but in verse 3, we're told they were testing him. Their motive was to test Jesus to see what he would do with a very difficult question. So earlier the Pharisees had tried to establish Jesus as a lawbreaker in Matthew 12, chapter 12 and 13. And here they want to see which school they can put Jesus into to pit him against the other one. And so Jesus knows their intent, he knows what they're asking and why, and he knows what both schools believe, and he knows their purpose and goal. And when the Pharisees asked Jesus, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any cause at all, they're not just asking, is there any reason? What, in a sense, they're asking, will any reason do? So Jesus' response is this, and we're going to close with this, and Come back next week with the remainder of the sermon. Jesus' response 
is what does the Bible say? Have you not read that he created them from the beginning, made them male and female, and said, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Now, I will say this in closing. He jumps over their question for a reason. You don't come to me for counseling for marriage and start asking me about, well, are there grounds for divorce? You're not looking for a real marriage. You're not looking for what God intended for it to be. You come to me for counseling, for marriage, to see the importance of it. Numerous young couples in here have come to Debbie and I with counseling. We tried to show them and reveal to them and question them and go through all of this, showing them the importance of marriage. It was an institution that God created. And there's reasons why it was so important. And still is. So we need to teach this. You say, well, I failed. Well, we've all failed. may not have been in, in that. But I guarantee you all of us have failed at, at marriage as husband and wife in trying to be the, the husband and wife that we should be. It's just unfortunate that some have ended up in marriage and divorce and remarriage. But it's what are we going to teach the younger generation? That it's okay? If you run into some bumps, that's fine. Just get, a, get out of it. You don't do that at work, I hope. You don't do, you know, you don't do that when you're, you're trying to finish a task. You may make mistakes along the way doing it, but what do you do? You correct those mistakes the best you can, and you continue on. You want it to be finished. And I guarantee you not anyone in here has lived a life in their Christian walk that has been perfect. What have you done? You haven't given up or you wouldn't be in here. You confess it. You make steps in correcting it and hopefully making sure, if you're not married, that one day if you're married, that you're going to teach your children, hey, I'm not perfect. If you're looking for a perfect example, don't look at me. God is. God's word is, and I'm just telling you this because I don't want you to have to go over this bump or that bump or this bump and experience the hurt that comes with it. I want you to be stronger. That's what God wants you to be. And do you know what? You can only do that. I've learned it, and I hope all of us have learned it, by the grace of God. Depending upon Him, realizing what kind of God we serve, 
realizing that he has the power to help us through whatever it is and realizing that he empowers us to live that way. And that we're to move forward. Yes, we may have taken some steps backwards, but man, we can move forward. There can be plenty more steps forward. But it can only happen by recognizing not who Mike is, but who God is and his grace. Because I want to tell you people, I'm a miserable sinner saved by God's grace. I'm far from perfect saved by God's grace. And I am not a perfect Christian today, and I move along in my journey saved by God's grace. I tell you that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I just want to thank you that you have helped us see from your word the love that you have for us, the different areas of life that you want us to enter into, like marriage, and the importance that you place on it. And yes, you even realize as you gave that bill to Moses, that certificate of divorce, you knew that man would fail. And they were falling, and there was chaos, and there uh, there was disaster there. And so, God, I thank you for your love and your grace and your understanding. But, Lord, help us also not trample over your grace by flippantly saying, well, I've confessed my sin, and then us continuing on with that sin. Help us to confess it, forsake it, admit it, and receive your forgiveness and move on and help others. Hopefully not experience all that we've experienced. Thank you, God, for being that kind of God. Help us to move forward for you and your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen.